Hey, this is a Glow with the Flow podcast. I'm Hip Hop Heels Kiz and I've got a very special guest up from London today. Would you like to introduce yourself? So I'm Charmaine Pollard. I'm a poetry therapist and I'm really pleased that you've invited me to talk to you today. We both work together as directors of a non-profit organisation called Lapidus International. I'd like to say hello to all the Lapidus members and the uh, directors on the board. We met last year, we were just discussing in the studio at a uh, way day where we looked at how we were going to move our organisation forward. And the work we do there is based around using words to improve people's well-being, to make benefits for their mental health and their physical health too. So we've got our usual suspects in the studio. Guys. Hello. Hi. <laughs> That's Gregory and Ben. What do you reckon to poetry therapy? Have you heard about it before? Before you'd met both Charmaine and I? Well, I probably hadn't heard directly of poetry therapy before I met you, Kiz, so I didn't realise people were doing it so actively. But certainly I've always been someone who's believed in the power of the creative arts, you know, to allow people to express things that they're working through. So it was great, you know, when you made contact with our charity and wanted to support what we were doing and then eventually we had you come in and actually do a, a programme with our guys in the night shelter and it was just an amazing piece of work. So I'm completely won over now, uh, so I'm very interested and excited to be part of these podcasts and I must admit I'm learning a lot, particularly about hip-hop and its origins and how, you know, why it has such a big impact on people's lives. So uh, I'm excited to be here again. Welcome Charmaine. Thanks for coming all the way up from sunny London to torrential Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, we are currently battling with the grey, drizzling... I wouldn't say drizzling, actually. It's basically... Birmingham looks like it's had a water tornado. Cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I just what left my... You know those times when you leave your front house, front door of your house and you've got... 30 seconds to get to your car but in that time every article of clothes is drenched and you sit in the car and your your jacket hood is streaming with water all over your seats in the car and then you've got to drive sitting in a puddle in the car so yeah that's what's just happened to me Greg how was your day? How was your day? It's your day <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much the same um, <laughs> that was okay but I want to go back to what you said about the hip hop therapy I'm, I'm asking very, you. I'm very, all right, familiar, all right. I'm very familiar with hip hop therapy. I'm like his. I was talking about poetry therapy, mate. <laughs> Sorry, poetry therapy, hip hop therapy, what's yeah. the difference? Mm, that's it, it's a good question. Charmaine, so, what, what do you reckon the difference is? <laughs> so, so tell, po- tell us. Okay, so poetry therapy is, is essentially using writing and poetry and literature as a therapeutic tool so you can use song lyrics mm. I've, I've I did a workshop recently with an organization called Black Learning Achievement and Mental Health and we used a song a, a song lyric and used that as our as our tool to to as a springboard for writing and um and discussions but I've also I work I work with Orthodox Jews as well and I've used the, the, the telehim, which we would call the psalms. So you could use passages from your, a holy book as well. Mm. So it's any, essentially any piece of writing you can use as a, 
as a as a springboard for discussions mm. and, and and writing. Mm -hmm. Nice. How does a piece of writing come into play in one of your sessions? So essentially, what I start with is 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 a warm up. I start with a little warm up. So just going back to the workshop I did on Saturday because it's most recent and it's about promoting positivity and you know feeling good about being being black, particularly with what's going on. First warm up I did was something like what I love about being black. And so people just responded to that and came up with lots of different things mm. and talked about the physicality, talked about qualities, contributions to the world, those sorts of things. So, and, and the beauty about this work is that because we, we all see things through different lenses, we'll come at things from different angles. So we'll all come up with something different and that helps in terms of the discussions and, mm. and it can go all different ways actually. Yeah, yeah. So start with a warm-up and then the poetry. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I love that idea of everybody coming from different angles because that's what we are as human beings. We're all mm -hmm. as unique as our fingerprints. And, you know, on one hand, we've got five five different digits, fingers, thumbs, all the rest of it. You might have a couple of fins down there, a couple of scales, <laughs> depending on where you live in Birmingham. <laughs> I hide mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, just... I find running and facilitating therapeutic writing sessions, when you present a poem or a picture or a song or you look at a music video and then mm -hmm. just the act of sharing mm -hmm. in a circle, human to human, talking mm -hmm. about what you came up with, what you mm -hmm. thought of, there's no like right or wrong. Yeah, so absolutely. you're always surprised to hear some imaginative response that somebody else mm -hmm. came up with and it gives me pleasure to hear the other ideas mm -hmm. and then I start to get inspired. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to writing, because we've all connected and shared, we feel more open to accept each other yeah. and that's yeah. how like a healing safe space is created. I'm just interested to hear about the kind of ways that you use to create that kind of safe space in your sessions. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's one of the most important things is that safety, because when you start writing, sometimes you can trigger traumatic memories. You could also, you know, but there might be really good memories as well, because I can sometimes kind of guide somebody into writing about a happy memory. But for what, what might be a happy memory for some person might not be for somebody else. So so one of the things is I really create that safe space. So uh, an exercise I often encourage clients to to respond to is to it's just a, a a sentence stem. I feel safe in a group when, and then everybody responds to that, and then everybody will start talking about what helps them to feel safe, and then from that I start we create a group contract, and and often it's confidentiality, respect, wanting to um, one person speaking at a time you know, not being judged, you know, all those sorts of things. And because I do that fairly at the beginning, more or less, we've got an opportunity then to just kind of talk about what, what you know, so think about what the boundaries are and what might be useful and what might not be, or what might not be useful as well. Yeah, that's so important because you can get people attending that are on a different page and don't have the same expectations. And yeah. things can happen in our past mm -hmm. that affect how yeah. we relate to each other and so, your way of relating to one person mm -hmm. might not be the way that they choose to be treated and you know you get frictions and stuff like that but establishing growls in it yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. And I guess I don't like the word rules. <laughs> so I kind of stay away from that and I will say contract or mm-hmm. group learning agreement or something like yeah, that because yeah. sometimes that can feel oppressive and that mm. also can bring can trigger something around isn't it a little bit like you know when you meet someone for the first time you're you're kind of a little bit careful you do the monkey individual. sniff Kind of, because, yeah, because, Scope you know, you friend, don't want to either be upset or upset the person. And I guess when you're doing that with a larger group, mm-hmm. you just have to be a little bit more careful yeah. because you can't pick everything up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like the fact that you don't like to use the word rules because mm-hmm. that immediately sets, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of sets the tone the wrong way, doesn't it? It's It's mm-hmm. almost It's almost like maybe there are rules, but it's like rules of engagement. Do you know, it's like mm-hmm. how, how are we going to engage with each other? Mm-hmm. Whether you do that as individuals mm-hmm. or in a setting mm-hmm. where everyone has come there for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. And I guess as a participant, you want to know that when you are sharing, you're in a safe space, you're, you're in a place where you're not going to have people saying things or, or doing mm-hmm. things or taking your stuff, and, you know. It's, it's good to establish that from the start. Mm-hmm. I guess it, it encourages sharing, doesn't yeah, it? Because people absolutely. come out of their shell a bit more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how do you make people who don't want to be there um, because they're, you know, feeling nervous about the process, they mm-hmm. don't, they're a bit worried about being in front of other people, but, you know, might have been stuck so bad mm-hmm. that they need to come to some kind of intervention. Mm-hmm. How do you work with those people to make them relax and sort of like mm-hmm. take a deep breath? And So sometimes it's exactly <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Sometimes if they, they're a bit frightened or apprehensive about sharing their work I might say take a deep breath and then share or I might encourage them to just say well maybe just use one or two words but what I aim to do right at the very beginning is is each person share something and it doesn't have to be you know even if you just share your name but there's no pressure for anybody to share it's really up to you how much you share how little what I will say is don't share your deepest, darkest secret because we wouldn't have the space to sometimes deal with that, depending on the types of group I'm working with. So when I've worked with survivors of domestic and sexual violence, then we will be talking about trauma and we will be working with that at a really deep level. But the workshops that I'm I'm doing, sort of like the one-off ones, we wouldn't be doing something like that. But I think one of the things what most people are worried about is writing, because sometimes, you know... You might not have been a great student at school. You might not have finished school. You might have not have any O levels. There were O levels in, in my <laughs> town. I don't know So sometimes writing can take you straight there. And so I really encourage people to not to you know you don't need to worry about spelling. Don't need to worry about grammar. Nobody's going to read your work. It's just you doing that, and it's just a way of you expressing yourself rather than just just speaking one-to-one. You go to a deeper level when you when you write something and then respond after. Yeah, that's brilliant. There's so much stuff I want to ask you. I'm going to... I know stuff, but I want to know more. And okay. you know what I mean? But I don't want to hold... I could chew Charmaine's ear off for 20 billion hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously, you guys are going to have to like take over or something because I'll just take over this. Podcast. But you ask the questions and I'll interrupt when I want yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. sure? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So, go for it, kids. Okay, I'm going to warm up right. Take a little jump. <laughs> 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 Take a little jump. Take a little jump. Take a
Let's do it. Can I ask a question? Yeah. <laughs> what is it that drew you to your work? What drew me to my work? Okay, so I'm also a counsellor. So I've been a counsellor for over 20 years. And what I would say for a lot of counsellors is they went through a difficulty, um, went through traumatic stuff. And I think I was sharing with you before I came. And that's why I, one, one of the things is that's the reason why I left Manchester and, and came to London. To London. Mm. And so that was what, okay. what brought me there. And I remember when I came, I used to do admin and I thought, hmm, now that I've been through what I've been through, I wonder if I would be able to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure whether I would, would be able to do that. So I volunteered with the Samaritans and I really loved it mm -hmm. and I think they do absolutely great work so if anybody mm -hmm. is feeling suicidal if anybody needs to would like to talk to somebody they're open 24 hours a day you can contact them and that's where I first started and, and, and I absolutely loved it and, and so then I went into my training and did did my counselling training and then and then I, I do a lot of work around women's issues and, and trauma and I went to a conference, and, and it was a conference around domestic abuse and the arts. And that was in Derby quite a number of years ago. And they had somebody who was a journal therapist there. And I thought, well, let me see what this is. And once I did some of the writing, I was really surprised by, by what I saw in just, you know, literally minutes, to be honest. So, so, what, kind of so, so if somebody's listening at home, they're thinking, okay, what would the job description be for a poetry therapist? How does it look on day-to-day, nine-to-five levels? Okay, so I would say, what do I do? What I love doing, I love being creative. It's really interesting because when I was a kid... I used to love painting. I'm not brilliant at painting or anything like that. You know those those number painting things. And each year, my mum would buy me a bigger and bigger paint set. And what I've loved is that I've actually my creativity is is now part of my work as well. So, so what I would say is, I love if somebody says to me, "Oh, run a workshop for me." That's that's where I'm at. My most excited because then I start thinking, okay. What does this group want? What would be useful? Uh, what po poem would really help this group? What what scripture? What what song lyric or something like that would be really useful? Mm. And then I just go away and start creating it. And I can do that. I'm, I can do it really quickly now. But essentially, it's it's once I've got that and a flow and it all makes sense, then I can offer that to other people. So am I right in thinking you're using the creative prompts and the creative act itself mm -hmm. to guide through, guide people through a journey of reflection and expression? Yeah, yeah. So on, on Friday as well, I did a course on therapeutic writing for resilience. I worked Ooh. for City Lit. That's a whole day course. And so it, it needs to have a flow to it. <laughs> and so I started off with one of the poems was called Origins by Imelda Maguire, and she's a fantastic poet from Ireland. And when I went to the conference a couple of years ago, I, you know, I, I was really lucky to meet her, and she's fantastic. And she's got a great poem, and one of the lines says, talks about coming from a long line of strong women. 
And actually, when I used this poem in in a prison in, in the south of England, because I also worked with a, a, a company called Rise Up, it was fantastic because I had about 15 or 16 men talking about their experiences with their mother. They started talking about mentors and and roles and, and not having enough mentors and, and, you know, where they came from and the areas that they came from. So it really, it was just fantastic how they created poems and, and it just led to this really big discussion mm-hmm. about the lack of mentors and how perhaps that may or may not have impacted the fact that they were, that they, you know, they were, they were in prison. So, yeah, so I, I think that was a really uh, key, key thing. So you said you started off as a counsellor. Yeah. When you decided to use poetry mm-hmm. as a form of therapy, yeah. did you find you were having better outcomes from from the people you were working with? Or can you can you measure it like that? Or is it do you, is it just something that you felt mm-hmm. more compelled to do? Okay. So what I would say for some people, one to one counselling fantastic they can you know get so much from it and it's a process yeah exactly but for some people one-to-one counseling is overwhelming but and 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 the beauty about groups is when you're in a group um when you're on your own initially you think i'm the only one dealing with this problem am i going mad when you're in the group and you're hearing other people that look very different from you but are saying the same things there's something about actually, I'm not alone in this. This is what absolutely. And so, and what I find with the poetry, like that poem what I mentioned when I worked with the with the men in the prison, it's a real way to just if I just said to them, you know, ask them a question, who are your mentors or whatever, it doesn't have the same uh, vibrancy and energy in terms of the discussions, but they could relate to that line. And, and then they were able to start discussing and, and, and talking yeah. about that. It's a great way in for lots of different things. And so uh, different poems, I know, I know that this line is, is likely to create, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a discussion around A, B, C or D. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so, so the choosing of the poems is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And what I also do and, and what all practitioners should do is, is work through the poem just so that you can see perhaps what group of people would it be useful for? Mm-hmm. How do you respond to the poem? So there's a possibility then that other people may respond to it in a similar way. Mm-hmm. And so you know what might be the, the triggering bits. If so you, you kind like. of test the ground ahead of time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting mm-hmm. you talk about that. The background that I come from is we are involved in running a charity that works with the rough sleepers in the city. What's what's the name of your charity? Let's Feed Brum. Uh, And and it was something that, um, I mean, I went out on the streets about uh, 10 years ago now. It's about 10 years ago now. And um, it was just initially just to find out. There was no big plan in my head at all. It was just to go out and hopefully encounter one or two people and and have conversations. And... uh, and it developed over time into a, like a bigger operation, whereas, you know, that was one or two or three of us walking through the city for two or three hours. And eventually it got to a point where we'd set up somewhere and it was like a soup kitchen mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. And actually what you were talking about, that thing about the one-to-one and mm-hmm. then the group, 
because they were they were actually they were much more like social events. So mm. when before I started getting involved with that kind of work, I always imagined a soup kitchen as a place of you know like grim lines, like Oliver Twist, grey faces, mm-hmm. walking, and it's like thank you and off they go. But of course, it's nothing like that at all. What's and it? What is it like? Can you describe the a, scene? Yeah, so you'd have, you know, the people would come to set up, we'd come to set up, get everything. But as you're setting up, other people are turning up, waiting for you to be ready. Depending on what's going on, what's been going on in the city, um, even just general discussions, that's all happening all the time, all around you. So it's a really active scene, lots of stuff going on, people jostling to get into the front of the queue. Then, you know, people also like trying to make sure everything's in place. But there's... One of the things that was really important from the beginning, because we'd worked from very small groups, which was mm-hmm. one, two, three people, mm-hmm. up to eventually crowds of up to 100 people. Mm-hmm. So effectively, it was like event management. So what you realised was you had to keep the good, feel good about it all the time. Mm-hmm. So there were always two or three of us, and you know that was kind of, eventually that was like my main role, right, I've got to make sure that you're keeping trouble away. You know, so if someone's come in, I know, we'll, 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 you go talk to that guy because actually, you know, I know they've got a beef with that guy over there, so we'll talk to that guy. And you know what, um, get them a cup of coffee early so that we'll calm them down. So you're working with people's, ha- because you know them. And so it was trying to create an environment where everyone felt safe enough to be there, but at the same time not having this kind of sense of, of you know what we're giving out stuff and you've just got to behave and get your mm. stuff and not cause trouble and it created a, a social scene it, they were like parties you know i mean you've been to one or one or two of them yeah. and uh, you know they are they're buzzing you know and they it's it's a really people looked forward to going mm-hmm. so you know when you're talking about the settings that you create for mm-hmm. the people you're working with and like looking ahead of time, kind of we did that in a different, I mean, it wasn't about lyrics, but it would be like, who's going to be there tonight? What's happened on the street the last couple of days? Who's likely to be there? And, you know, very occasionally, for example, you know, which does happen tragically, even recently, people die on the streets. When someone's died on the streets, then the mood is really down there, people. And, and actually, there's a lot of anger as well when that how, happens. How do you deal with that then? How do you change the mood for them or help them with that? It's just knowing people individually, you know, it's like that person. So we have groups of volunteers that go out every night. Mm -hmm. Each volunteer will have really strong relationships with half a dozen people. Mm -hmm. So I don't know everyone on the street in Birmingham, Mm -hmm. but there's there's probably about a dozen of the guys on the street right now that we're really close Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we gel, Mm -hmm. you know. So because we've we've got over 100 volunteers going out seven nights a week, so it's the person who's there that night mm-hmm. and they'll think, oh, you know, Greg's coming tonight mm-hmm. and, you know, that guy that passed away was really close to, so, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take some time with him mm-hmm. and I'll go and sit with him. Mm-hmm. So by knowing the people, by knowing each other, mm-hmm. that's how you do it because you can't, anything else would be patronising, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Because you're, it's not, you know, and it's out in the open, we're not in a, People can come and go as they please. We can come and go as we please. So it's literally community. That's how I see it. It's a living community, you know. And I guess 
you know, the safe spaces that you want to create in the therapeutic world are mm-hmm. creating a community there and then, isn't it? Absolutely. For those individuals with you. Mm-hmm. And you the know. ones that I, what I've often done, certainly with, with, with the groups that I've, I've worked with, I, I'm, I'm, my, my culture, I'm, I'm British Jamaican, so my parents are, are Jamaican, so, so that's, that's a culture which, which I, I grew up in. And food's a really important part of, of that. And so what I used to do is, um, before, before COVID and, and we've been forced online, was any group that I did, we all, I always made sure they had really good food. And that brings people in and it changes things because the dialogue that you have with other people, not these, you know, and that's what diversity is about. It's not about a few sandwiches. Sandwiches are a British thing. So what I would do, I'd get order in um, Indian food from from, from the local Indian, you know, and they'd they'd have an actual meal as part of the workshop is what I would do. And and, and you could see how appreciative it they were because mm-hmm. there were people that were, um, you know, kind of on the fringes of society and, mm-hmm. you know, lots of difficulties and, and mm-hmm. you know, difficult experiences. They really appreciated that. And, and you know, yeah. it's different, isn't it, when you're yeah. talking and eating. It's, if you want to get me somewhere, yeah. to tell me that there's going to be food there. <laughs> yeah. That's coming from your own culture, isn't it? And you're like, you know, yeah. I'm being hospitable. Yeah. Like, these are these. Like they're they're guests, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, certain things that, that we've always done from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So on pancake day, mm-hmm. we will do pancakes okay. because you know it's mm-hmm. like everyone's looking forward to having pancakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're out there on the streets, it's like mm-hmm. where are you going to get your pancakes from? So mm-hmm. no, you're included, mm-hmm. and I'm quite proud of the fact we 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 do that every pancake day. Mm-hmm. On Valentine's Day, we'll ask a, a band to come and play. And serenade our guests. Oh, wow. Because, you know, it's like, you know, you're not going to sit in a nice romantic restaurant with your partner, but mm-hmm. we're going to serenade you, right? No, people so. feel good enough. No, people yeah. feel good. Yeah. And I think that's what yeah. food yeah. does as well. It's, like, it yeah. makes you feel good. Yeah. And I don't know why this sprang to my head, but you know David Jason, the actor? Yeah. He always, if you notice when he plays a lot of his characters, when he's dull boy and stuff, mm-hmm. he'd always be yeah. eating bread or a sandwich or oh, something. Yeah. He found that he acted better when he was eating. Right, okay. So yeah. I don't know if there's something behind that, but he always seems to be like a chipper, yeah. chirpy geezer. Yeah. So he's like having a little sandwich halfway yeah. through his conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just eating, sharing, yeah. just makes you mm-hmm. feel good. And yeah. I guess that opens you up to the creative process, yeah. doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. We're nurturing ourselves through the creative process, I think. One of the MCs who's playing at my fundraiser this week, Dobgasm, um, we're fundraising for workshops with MCs at Ben's Charity, okay. Let's Feed Brom, through Hip Hop Heels, and with another charity, Darcy's Dream. We discussed past pain and toxicity that becomes present in our current life from people, from memories, from trauma. And we were discussing the fact that that pain knows no time. When you enter the sphere of the pain that you have experienced from something that happened that was traumatic or challenging in your life, there's no let up in the quality of that pain. It's the same. And so when you enter that space, it takes a lot of energy from you. But when you feel loss, 
that energy burns a space inside. When you feel trauma, it's actually actively burning a space inside of you. So whatever loss it is has carved. And I think there's a Khalid uh, Gibran quote about the about the human heart being a vessel and when pain carves it, it, it has the capacity to hold more love. And MC Ooh. Navigator, we were talking and just we were talking about my sister that passed and he said that your sister's lost has, loss has left a space in you and that's where the creativity's come to fill up. Mm. I was in his house. I was in London. I'd been to Hackney. I'd gone up to visit him. And I'm a grown girl. Like I, I just started proper blubbing in somebody else's house mm. that I didn't really know that well I knew enough to be going over to stay over and that but oh my god mm. I was like well I'm really sorry Papa hit a nerve when he said those words mm. it was like some veil had been lifted in my perception I came to terms with how I became a poet and I accepted why it had happened mm. so while I was going through my own processing journey poetry came to me Mm-hmm. poems wrote themselves through me mm-hmm. I didn't think of myself as a writer I certainly didn't think of myself as a poet the work that I produced was way beyond what I thought I could mm-hmm. it was almost like somebody else was writing it mm-hmm. so I was like whoa what on earth is going on here at the same time I was suffering physical sensations in my body that weren't from a physical cause mm-hmm. so the pain the journey that I've been on is that Pain has come from my emotional trauma and manifested to the point where I've stopped walking, stopped eating, had pains in my arms that stopped them from working. Mad stuff that you didn't, don't think's real, but it's real as I am sitting here in front of you. So these weird things happening to my body, I didn't realise that creativity could help you process that until I started to be creative when my dad died. And it opened up a creative block and I started writing and then all this stuff started pouring out and then I started processing and then I started to get onto this train, this railway train with full pelt steam pumping where I didn't know if I was going to be all right going on that journey. I was just on the train without my choice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, mind-blowing really because the place it took me was one where I started to assemble fragments of sensations and memory and sense perceptions from trauma which made me cry made me hurt made me feel in deep deep anguish but because I was naming it I was making it all right and I was getting rid of it Mm -hmm. I was casting it out on the page Mm -hmm. sending it away from my heart and my headspace and then I wasn't thinking about it anymore Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize I had been thinking about it but Mm -hmm. they were they were poetic representations of traumatic memories and threading together elements of my life, my childhood, things that had happened, people that I'd seen, birthday parties, being picked up and spun round by my sister that passed away, imaginations of her accident and what I could see of the car, reliving from her point of view what happened because it was an un explained mystery car accident that nothing has been able to you know make a conclusive pause for you said that you found you was on this 
sort of runaway train. Hey, I didn't know what was happening to me. It just started pouring out. When you were writing, did you feel like it was making you feel... Was it making you feel better? While I was actually writing, I was like... I felt like I was in a Lambo driving 200 miles an hour. It was just... Okay. Nothing else. And then an hour or two might pass if it was a bigger, deeper poem where I might have assembled past mm. notes and brought other things together. But I really didn't realise I had this stuff in me, like this... Mm. I'd say skill, not just the painful memories. It was like a talent that I didn't know that I had. And I don't feel boastful or embarrassed saying it because the stuff that I was writing was just... It was like some freak, weird, technical superstructure with all these mad, like, patterns of words, words on the page, just... Tried stuff, tried... No hip-hop. No, no, no hip-hop, mate, no hip-hop. Poems. You know, you, you started by talking about that quote from Khalil Gibran, which is talking about what's, what, you know, when the heart is carved with emotion, that it makes space for something else. Mm. And um, The greater the sorrow, the deeper the yeah. space for joy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think this is like... Um, I think it's common to human experience. Not everyone suffers the same traumas, of course. But when trauma has been experienced and endured, there's, there's always two ways to go with that. One way is that, that it's a dark road, which is the road of bitterness. And the other way is the road of, of not... You don't want to have bitterness about it, but you, you, you nevertheless have all the anguish. And I think if you take that road, then there is not just the possibility, but the probability of great healing. And growth. Yeah, for mm -hmm. not just you, but everyone mm -hmm. around you. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is kind of, in many ways, like a question that's posed to us every single day when we suffer setbacks or things happen not the way we, we expect them to. Because we can see, can't we, around us in the world what happens when bitterness is the, is the route that people have taken because mm -hmm. that leads to hatred and mm -hmm. that leads to mm -hmm. strife, mm -hmm. you know. And that's just not a good way to go, mm -hmm. you know. And, and I would say probably 99% of the trouble in the world is caused by that. And that alone, you know. And sometimes I think it's fair to ask, why has this happened to me? Because, because I, I don't believe that it's... Uh, I'm not a kind of believer of that kind of karmic thing, which is that, you know, you get what you deserve. I don't believe that. I think that the innocent suffer. Yeah. And sometimes the guilty don't, mm. you know. And that's the reality. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. So, so in the individual case, what are you going to... How are you going to respond to what's been given to you. When you were speaking, it reminded me of a situation that I found myself in, which was at a soup kitchen. And it was one particular night, it was a winter night, it was dark, raining, and we were really busy. And this young man came over to me, and I was standing in a group of people, and he came over and said, could I talk to you? And I hadn't seen him before. And he said, uh, um, I've seen you around a few times and I'd like to just have a chat to you. I said, sure, no problem at all. And 
but it was a really busy night. So what was happening was I was there and I was constantly being interrupted by people asking me questions, you know, about soup kitchen, about other things that were going on. He patiently stood there until the end of the soup kitchen. It was an hour that passed, literally, you know, and, and I literally wasn't able to make the time because I was constantly being, you know, people were asking me questions about stuff that was going on. Anyway, it had gone right down to the end. And we were packing up then, and there was just the two of us left. Everyone had, we were probably the last two there, but there were still a few people packing up. And he said, I just wanted to tell you something. I know that you don't know me. I just kind of felt I had to tell someone, and I wanted to tell you, you know. And he said, so we had a little chat. He was, you know, what my name was, what his name was, etc. And then I said, so how, you know, before you, you tell me, how did you end up on the streets? You know, and he said, well, that's what I've come to, to tell you. And he goes, you know, I was in a great place in my life. You know, I was uh, recently married, had a lovely uh, baby, and everything was going great in my life. And one day, my wife and child were killed in a, in a car accident. And he said, and then I didn't know what to do then. I just left and went on the street. And I've been here ever since. That was a year ago. It, the reason he wanted to talk to me, because, you know, I'm a Christian, and he obviously knew it, and he said, I wanted you to pray for me. I said, would you pray for me? So, I mean, that's a pretty difficult, I was, that was a difficult moment for me, let alone, you know, what, what he'd experienced, which was way beyond what I could imagine. And, and I think I've said this before, but often when I don't have the words to speak, I just say, you know, Lord, give me the words because I don't know what to say. I don't have the capacity, you know, to, to deal with something like that. But I heard myself say this to him. And the words that came out were, God has laid a very special path for you. That's a horrible thing to have happened. But out of it is going to come something which is going to give you at some point, great joy. And that was that encounter. I never saw that guy again. I've never seen him before. And I think it is just... That's, that's the stories of so many people in today, you know, in history. You know, things... The, the hand they've been dealt mm -hmm. is a hand of tragedy. And I think sometimes, you know... It, we have to send the message out there that, yes, it is a tragedy. And there's no way you can downplay that as a tragedy. Mm -hmm. It is as hard as it gets. But if you take that right path moving forward from there, there is one day there is going to be a greater joy mm -hmm. that will be... And the word isn't reward, because it's not reward. There is a greater joy that can be found. And I th honestly think that People who have suffered the greatest trauma can also experience something that a lot of people will never, ever experience. 100%. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'd agree with that. 100%. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the difficulty when you're at that place where you're in that place, you're really experiencing that tragedy, that's not always a comforting... Because <laughs> people can't see... They just can't see what they can see is in front of them. And often a lot of my work is just mm -hmm. dealing with that. I know that off 
often in the back of my mind that's that, that there's there's going to be that silver lining or but for some people there is no silver lining and they don't see that there and then. So so how do you work with that? So I, I work with that in a way with just staying with where that person is. If this is really you know really awful, this is really awful circumstances. Life's never going to get better. It's going to be really awful. I hear that and I acknowledge that and I validate because that's how that person is feeling in that moment. Saying to them, you know, you're going to great joy later on. That, that's not, don't, don't get me wrong. I think what you dealt was, was, was right and, and, and right for you in that moment. I really hear that. But when people are in real deep tragedy, yeah. that's what they you know, I've, yeah. I've worked with people who are, who've had a miscarriage mm. and go on to have other children. But in that moment, I've lost that child. Yeah. And that's who I'm grieving for. Yeah. And any talk of, you'll have another baby later mm. on, or you can have, that's the loss that they're working with. So it's really staying in that moment mm -hmm. with that pain, where it is, exactly where it is. And that's what people like to, you know, to, to be understood, they like to be heard, and often what happens is other people around them, yeah. and this is where it gets really difficult. Other people around them, oh, you're still dealing with that. What that that you haven't got? There's almost that message of somehow you haven't got over it. Yeah. Um, and people what need to be able to talk about what they need to talk about, and I think you mentioned it, didn't you? There is no. There's no time limit. Yeah, mate, I got this no, morning an expectation on a lot of people. There is no getting over it. I guess yeah. I guess that's the yeah. beauty of what we're talking mm -hmm. about, which is therapy through poetry mm -hmm. or through the creative arts, because they are the only ways in which you can express. Uh, you know, we have words and sounds mm -hmm. and ways of expression which really have meaning don't they pain mm -hmm. the agony of you can, loss you can hear it straight away in the song in the singer in yeah. the music it yeah. shifts yeah. you inside when you're driving mm. along on the motorway or mm. on the school run mm. and you hear a certain song mm. and then you start to well up that's the kind of song that we're talking about here when yeah. when you feel its power yeah mm. it's like don't get too philosophical but all so many things going through my head as you're all speaking i'm just thinking of what is different quotes in my head like it's almost like duality isn't it it's, it's like balance the balance between all things the more pain you feel the more love you need to express or feel or or, or uh, come into contact with mm. it's tiring man if you don't if you've never had a lot of pain you may it's not a rule for everyone you may not be as we were saying you, you may not have tapped into some resources you have within yourself Mm -hmm. but the, the human mind and the human body is prepared for it mm -hmm. so when it does happen then you experience more love because maybe from people that are, if it's lost they're consoling you or maybe from mm -hmm. people that you've encountered and they can mm -hmm. sense your pain they've felt that kind of pain before they can mm -hmm. sense it I think that's another thing that's um, important in, in all of the work that we do is that people realising that you have that in common, you mm -hmm. felt that kind of pain, or mm -hmm. you've experienced something, you can always sense it. Like I've worked with several people over the years when I've been going through the mental health system myself, and the people that I've really engaged with the most, mm -hmm. the people I know understand me without me saying a word, mm -hmm. you know, 
Mm. And I think that that's a massively important thing in the work is that mm. you do you do show that that duality that that it's like the, the yin and the yang, isn't it? Like yeah. you, pleasure is always followed by pain, and, and pain followed by pleasure, etc. I just think that yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great philosophy to think that you know the more pain you felt, the more love you're gonna feel, and I think that that is key to healing. Mm. I think as you were saying as well, sorry to go on. Understand that they're still in pain and not trying to move people on before they're ready. Yeah. But yeah. it takes it takes a great deal of understanding to 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 know that because a lot of people. If you think five years ago, mm -hmm. before Time to Talk, before mental health campaigns, how people looked at mental health as a whole, mm -hmm. it was like, mm -hmm. oh, mental health, mental health, flipping stick a blast on it, crack on. Mm -hmm. But it's not always like that, is it? It's like someone breaks their leg, they have to go and lie down for a few yeah. weeks. Yeah. Someone breaks their mind, it was like, just get on with it. But the shift that's been in the last few mm -hmm. years is immense. And mm -hmm. well, we've experienced that as men, haven't we? I remember mm -hmm. us having a discussion about boys don't cry in one of the mm -hmm. earlier podcasts, mm -hmm. and it's like you know, I remember saying, you know, why, why, why were we ever taken in by that? Because for the setup to my yeah. money, you said don't be daft, boys yeah. don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also a, cult there's a cultural thing around um, mm -hmm. difficulties and resilience, isn't there? Yeah. As well. And yeah. some some cultures don't even have a word for mental health. Mm. Yes, I think the Pakistani Pakistanis uh, the language does there's no there's, yeah, there's not there's a, a phrase for mental health. Yeah, yeah, there's a few yeah. that haven't got. Yeah, I don't think there's a, like a, a term for yeah. a, a mental health issue or anything. It's just mm. like, and you get shamans that believe it's connection from the spirit world, mm. and you know mm. there's all these different concepts. But mm. I think the fact it comes down to just understanding people's pain mm -hmm. yeah 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 absolutely. and the more we take time to do that yeah. the more chance we have as a whole mm -hmm. to kind of allow each other to heal mm -hmm. and, and be a, a better nation for it a better world you know it's giving people time isn't it it's giving yeah. people your time mm -hmm. you know it's not even so much saying stuff mm -hmm. just being that person is enduring something mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever watched that film saving private ryan Tom Hanks. Yeah, where he's sent out uh, to it's World War Two, and um, this family, they're four brothers fighting in in the army in different parts of Europe, and then three of them are killed in action. So he's sent out to get the one left to bring him back because they they, they don't want. The, the parents to lose all four of their sons, right. you know. So his mission is to go out and find the one remaining one and say to him, look, sorry, you we're taking you out of action mm. because, you know, if you get killed as well when you go back, there's going to be all of you will be dead and there will be no devastation. But there's one scene in that film where he's near the front line somewhere in France and there's shelling going on everywhere and, you know, you can see, I mean, it's well filled. The soldiers are absolutely... It's a relentless battle. Mm. And then for about a couple of minutes, there's this place in, it's near a bridge in the town where there's battle going on all over the place. And the soldiers come in there and they sit there for two minutes and they're all totally exhausted. And it's just a rest for them, a respite. They're only there for like two minutes. Mm. And the camera pans around the room and there's about 
10 guys in there and you can just see from their faces that I mean, they're half dead, you know. And nothing is said, but you can feel, and I think it was the intention of the energy coming into there. It's like, we're all here together. Yeah, we're all here together. And you know what? We're all going to leave. Half us are going to die when we leave. But this, you know, this is us together, a group, us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you've been through or what you're going to go through we're here together as a group and that was really powerful that I think is what you can give to people you can just be with that person just be with them all of you all of yourself is what I mean you know hold nothing back and that means a lot so true I can remember probably my darkest moment in life when I was in bed under the covers didn't want to come out I'm just there in my pit and my friend a friend I told you about the other day he just came and sat in my bedroom, sat on my computer, mm -hmm. messing about on the internet, doing whatever he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Never spoke to me. He just sat there. Mm -hmm. And gradually I came out from under the grill. What are you doing? What are you even doing here? <laughs> do you mean what we're doing here? I'm your best mate, look. <laughs> and then like, gradually I've climbed out of the bed, like, what, what are you doing? And then the next thing you know, like we're talking, and the next thing you know, I'm back on my feet. Mm -hmm. He's literally just came and sat there, mm -hmm. gave me his time, mm -hmm. the most precious commodity on earth. Mm -hmm. You cannot get it back, you cannot give it away, it's there, mm. but you know what, 100% time is his greatest healer. Mm. You know what I'm learning from this conversation? It doesn't matter what method you use, if you can create a connection and a space for that mm. connection and it feels safe, you're on the way to some healing, whether it's with your best friend over a cup of tea, your best friend lying there, you know, in bed and you're on the computer or in a workshop like the ones that Charmaine runs or in the soup kitchen, if you've done some thinking about what would lift and energise and support or hold a person in their time of need, then you might be able to find a way to help them through. Mm -hmm. So just be there for people, give them a phone, just sh shout them, write them a letter or whatever, pop over and sit in the garden on the on the front doorstep if you need to, but we're coming cup through this chat. <laughs> cup of tea and chat. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go through some weird, unpredictable times now, even more so because it's October, isn't it? We've had lockdown, COVID, January. The world was relatively normal last year. We've had ten months now where our lives haven't really been the same and upside down. We're heading into the winter. Winter is the time when people get lost and depressed in the early evenings where the darkness creeps in, the central heating goes on, the stodgy food like mash and pie and stuff comes out. What do you recommend people could do to give themselves a bit of a boost and self-support? Certainly thinking about poetry therapy and, and that work, a poem that brings you comfort or a song that that you it's your go-to. What's your song? So so there's a song many, many years ago. It's it's um Jamaican, love my reggae music. And there's a there's a man called Budger Banton. Oh my god! I love Budger Banton! <laughs> okay. And he it's a song, I can't remember the title, but 
the words in the line and, and it really helped me in the sort of the 90s jab put an angel over over me be strong with a firm meditation one day things will get better and it was that that part of the song that really helped me through the difficult times so find a song a poem scripture anything that's going to help you that's your go-to and that's 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 the thing that's going to make the difference yeah absolutely i make connections so important Mine was this too shall pass. I don't know whether it was a uh, whether that's Bible scriptures or Maya Angelou or it's a India Buddhist, or all three of Buddhist phrase that always yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. Just yeah. stick one in there. Yeah, yeah. What's yours, Ben? Well, there's one that I really love. It's actually part. It's in scripture, but it's in the uh, the um, Gospel of John, and it's where what's described is the difference between the darkness and the light, and it says that the darkness doesn't understand the light. So as opposed to that view of yin and yang, which in many ways I think is manifested in lots of ways, there's also this, this perspective where, where darkness is simply absence of light. So light, when it appears in the darkness, the darkness, you know, if it was personified, has no understanding of what light is because darkness is the absence of something, whereas light is the thing which is the presence of something. Mm -hmm. So when I think about it, it's like when I met you out in the car park mm -hmm. and you saw I was just standing out in the rain letting it fall all through me and I couldn't care less because I love it. And it's <laughs> like rain, you can rain on me, you know, hail, you can hail on me, darkness, you can shine on me, I don't care because at the end of through it all, right, the light is at the end and the light is something. And all of these are an absence of something. So, you know, and that for me, obviously, as a Christian, is, you know, my faith in Jesus Christ. So for me, that's like that person who is God is like at the end of everything and holding everything is this incredible light that is the presence of something which is life itself and light. So, you know, it's uh, from the moment I believe that, that has never left me. So it kind of, you know, for me, life is much more now just bring it on because nothing is going to win against that, you know. So. I was just about to say one of the songs I'm listening to at the moment a lot that resonates is a Buju Banton song, mm -hmm. I'm Blessed. Okay. It's a modern song. <laughs> this is so canny because I came to the first podcast that we did it was playing in the car when I got in the car okay. and I came waving my arms around in the car, seat dancing. I didn't care who was in the bus next to me. I was grooving in that car. And I, was getting, I, was getting, I was getting in the zone. I got to the podcast studio. I was like, yeah, bro, bro, bro. I'm here. Let's shoot. Let's film. Let's interview. So then I got out of the car to go back home and I've got the song remixed by Aries. It's a jungle remix, and I'm playing a set at the Dubgasm event on the weekend. I learnt to mix six months ago for the first time. Wow. Just, you know, it's my own blooming, you know, fundraiser. I can actually do a little bit of performance now. That's pretty cool. But when I was playing it over those practice sessions for the DJing, 
it as soon as I put it on, I was just moving my body and so happy and I kept listening to it in heavy my head. Bass. It's got a heavy bass line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've just looked in there and to play the bass as well. So I look cool. That's it. And it's like I can't stop listening to it in my head. I, when I get a chance, I just imagine the song in my head mm-hmm. and that gives me a bit of energy mm-hmm. through the day. And I think that's where we're coming at with hip hop therapy. I don't do therapy. I'm not a counsellor. I can use therapeutic techniques with my creative writing because I've had training. I've had a master's level course with safety, ethics, mm-hmm. you know, human, um, mental, psychological processes that ma- makes me a trained practitioner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't try this at home if you don't know what you're doing. But when you can hear a song in your head and it gives you so much joy that you're imagining it and you're still getting the same buzz. Imagine if you use that in a session where you're working with people who are hurting. You're showing them songs that they love, they've chosen, and you're printing them and you're doing workshops with those songs. Mm-hmm. I love music. That's what I want to spread. Music is what Pam bought me in my life. My sister that passed away loved reggae. It's her celebration event, Dubgasm. The sets will be recorded, so we'll keep the Just Giving fundraiser link open. If you don't catch it live on the Saturday, the 3rd of October, you'll be able to keep going with the fundraising or just look up Hip Hop Heels and Dubgasm and find out where you can donate. All right, any last thoughts? You're really asking me that. Any last thoughts? <laughs> what, what is the meaning of life? Love it. Love it. <laughs> and on that note, Greg, <laughs> Greg, you're saying that you wanted to wrap it up in a deep and philosophical way. It was the winter. It was the cold winter. <laughs> right, thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Anything. <laughs> It was the winter, it was the cold winter. Yeah, to make it therapeutic, you need to end with a hopeful, positive well, conclusion. Within <laughs> <laughs> a few months, it wouldn't be the winter anymore. <laughs> it would be the spring. <laughs> and on that note, Charmaine, thank you so much for coming. Um, you've made the trip from London. Okay. All our listeners, on behalf of them and Greg, Ben, Thank so myself. Thanks, really appreciate you coming. Thank you, and Thank you, all of you. It was fantastic. Yeah.